thankful and grateful that you're able to be here this morning as we have studied together some passages from the Word of God to help us to be edified, to cause us to be drawn closer to the God of heaven and serve him more like we ought to serve him. Now, several have asked about the meeting at Munford, and so I'll say it this time, and then maybe I won't have to say it so many times. We had a real good meeting at Munford, Alabama this week. We had good crowds each night. There was one baptized and eight restored during the meeting. Six of those who were restored had not attended services, some of them for years. The elders there encouraged the congregation to put forth a concerted effort to bring those who were unfaithful to attend the services during the meeting and those who were not members of the Lord's body. They worked very hard during the gospel meeting and we had a real successful effort for the Lord's cause there in the city of Munford. Munford is the largest congregation from Montgomery, Alabama to Huntsville, Alabama to Birmingham, Alabama to Atlanta, Georgia. And they tell me it's the largest because it's the oldest congregation or one of the oldest congregations in that area. If everyone at Munford who's a member of the church attended there like they ought, they'd have over a thousand in attendance. They have some 350 probably who attend there on a regular basis. And they set forth the cause of Christ. And I say that to say this. It started many years ago uh, due to the efforts of a brother joiner, a preacher joiner, who came across the mountain and preached. Some of you may know something about preacher joiner. If you do, I'd like to know it. We're trying to get together some history on the church at Mumford. But I appreciate very much being able to come home to be back with you here. And let me say this, I've said it there and I'll say it here. There's no congregation of the Lord's people anywhere I know that's more interested in the study of the Bible than Park Avenue Church of Christ. I appreciate the fact that when we come together to worship God that almost everyone in the audience has a Bible. And that when we read from the Bible, we open our Bibles and study together God's Word. That's the way that the Lord intended that it be. May we never lose sight of our appreciation for the Bible and our knowledge of the Bible to be applied to life and to be lived out in our life. I want to discuss with you this morning some things that were contained in the passage that was read to our hearing this morning from Hebrews 11 and verse 34. The Bible says there, beginning back at verse 32, What shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, 
turned to flight, the armies of Aegean. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not, accept, not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain a better resurrection. The writer says that these, as well as others, out of weakness were made strong. I think one of the problems that faces the Lord's church any time that there's a call made for service is the fact that we consider ourselves to be weak and to be inferior. We consider ourselves to be ordinary and to be unfit for the service of God Almighty. In the 25th division of the book of Matthew, our Lord gives a parable concerning the giving of talents unto those in the kingdom of God. And he said he gave five unto one, and unto another he gave two, and unto another one, each according as their several ability. We remember the account how that the one talent man was the man who was lost. But I want to suggest to you this morning that that man was not lost because of his ordinary ability. He was lost because he was afraid, and he took the talent that had been given him of God Almighty and digged in the earth and hid that talent and refused to use the talent that he had. We need to recognize the fact that out of weakness we can indeed be made strong. We need to come to understand in our own minds that God does not make one for whom there is unfit or no place found for him in his kingdom and service. In the book of Genesis, in the first division of the book of Genesis, in verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness. God has not created one that is in fear and is unfit to be used in service in his kingdom. In the book of Psalms, in the ninth division of the book of Psalms, there's a psalm that applies to the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet that psalm applies to us also. And the Bible says, verse 4, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visited him? Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him that he might have dominion over the works of thy hands, and thou put all things under his feet. Is that not the account of Adam in creation as well as Christ, the second Adam? Here was man who was created, and he was given dominion over all the works of the hand of God. He was crowned with glory and honor by the hand of God Almighty. The Bible says, All sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. God has made man in his very image, and we need to realize the exalted position to which we have been placed. We who are members of the kingdom of our Lord have a responsibility that's not given even to the angels of God that are in heaven. We need to see ourselves as we stand before God Almighty and how that God has placed his confidence in us 
as his children. In the 22nd chapter of the book of Matthew, in verse 38 and verse 39, there was one who had come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he said, Lord, what is the great commandment? Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, and with all thy soul. And he said, The second likened to it is this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Can we not understand that God considers us to be important and that God has made or created no one who ought to look upon himself as being in fear and unfit for use in the kingdom of the Master? This has been a problem that has faced mankind throughout the back. Man, in thinking about his own ability, sees only shortcomings and begins to think that I would not be fit to serve God in the right way, and that I should not be fit to step forth to accept the responsibilities that ought to be mine in service in the kingdom of Jehovah God. In the book of Exodus, if you'll turn to the fourth division of the book of Exodus, you have the call of Moses. In the first verse, Moses begins to make excuse for himself, saying that I can't be used, God, and that I'm unfit for service. Moses had an inferiority complex towards himself. And I'm so afraid sometimes that we feel so inferior out of the humility and meekness that we ought to have that we do not stretch forth through faith using the abilities that God has granted us for the glory of God Almighty. It says in the first verse, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say that the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And so Moses begins to make excuse. God Almighty has said that it will be you who will lead my people from the bondage of Egypt. You drop down in verse 10. And Moses said unto the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore. Nor henceforth hast thou spoken unto thy servant, I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Moses said, My, I can't do that. God, you need to get somebody else. I don't have enough ability to lead your people forth. I'm slow of speech, I'm slow of tongue. There are others who have greater abilities and talents than the talents that I have. Yet, God, you mean you're going to call on me? That it's going to be my, through my hand that the children of Israel will come forth? Yes, Moses, don't you realize that it won't be through your ability, but it'll be through mine. It'll be through the ability of God Almighty that they'll come forth out of the land, and the servant that God chooses, the little ability that he has will be magnified by the name of God himself. And so finally Moses gives in and begins to magnify the name of God before the people. And it was only when you come down to the book of Numbers and the 19th division of the book of Numbers that he failed to sanctify God in the eyes of the people that Moses was unable to enter into the land of promise. 
We need to understand that it takes not a great deal of ability to be used by God to be fit for service in the kingdom of the master. What it takes is that faith that we have to follow God and to realize that through God and by God we can overcome all obstacles that we face in life. As Paul said in Philippians 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. You come down to the book of Judges, and you can see in the book of Judges several examples of men whom the world would consider to be unfair. And of those, if we begin to look on them from an outward standpoint and from outward appearance, we'd say there's no way that they can do works for God Almighty. But here are those who are inferior. They're ordinary, even some who we'd consider to be below ordinary, and thereby they cannot serve and find a place of service in God's kingdom. In the third division of the book of Judges, you read about a leader of God's people named Ehud. Ehud was a man whom the Bible says or calls a left-handed man. People kid me about being left-handed. Now there's one who was left-handed who is a leader to the kingdom of God. The marginal reading says that he's even further disadvantaged than that. The marginal reading indicates that he's a one-handed man and that his right arm's gone. And yet, even though Ehud is a one-handed man, that does not mean that he cannot serve God, for the problem is in serving God, not our abilities, but our availability and how well we'll use our abilities in service of Jehovah God. You come down to the fourth chapter and you read about Deborah the prophetess. Women, of course, enjoyed a limited position under Judaism. We need to come to know and to understand that while there are those limitations placed upon women by function or in function, according to the teaching of 1 Corinthians 11, 3 and 1 Timothy 2 and other similar passages, that even though limited in function, when women in the kingdom of God, as we'll see in a few moments, carry out their service to the best of their ability, there can be great works wrought by the means to which God has accorded them. We need to understand that limitations of function do not mean limitations of service. And that people who have limitations still can serve God and serve Him in the proper way. You come down to the 6th chapter and the 7th chapter of the book of Judges and you see the angel of the Lord comes unto Gideon. Gideon says when he was told that he was going to be the one through which Israel would be saved in verse 15, he says, Oh my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh. And I'm the least in my father's house. You look at all of Israel, God, and you mean you're going to come down to the least tribe? You're going to come down to the tribe of Manasseh? And we're poor people. 
We do not have many resources on which to call in order to be able to serve you, Lord. You mean you're going to choose even the one who is least in my father's house? Just look at all the brothers I have who have mobility than I. Look of all those who have more talents than I might have. And you mean, Lord, you're going to use me? Yes, Gideon, you're the one to whom I shall call. You'll be the one who'll bring the children of Israel out of the hand of the Midianites. Well, Lord, I'm just not too sure about that. I don't know whether I can believe you or not. Well, Gideon, you go prepare a sacrifice, and you offer a sacrifice of a ewe lamb or of a lamb and then of a meal offering, and I'll give you a sign, and you'll know you can be used in the service of God. I'm not too sure about that, Lord. It's not, Lord, that I don't have any faith, but I need some evidence to back up that faith. The Bible records in verse 21, the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand, and he touched the flesh of the unleavened cakes, and there rose up fire out of the rock, and it consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord departed from his sight. Well, you know, Lord, I'm still not too sure about that. You can use many people, but I'm not so sure you can use me, Lord. Get in, you put so forth some fleece. And the dew will be on the fleece only, and all around will be dry. Get in, put forth the fleece, and the dew appeared only on the fleece, and the ground around was dry. Well, Lord, I'm just not sure yet. Well, you put the fleece back down there, get in. This time there'll be dew on the ground and the fleece will be dry. And that's the way it was. Gideon was a man who needed his faith strengthened. Gideon was a man who needed the evidence, and you and I have that evidence today. Scripture says in Romans 15, 4, whatsoever things are written aforetime are written for our learning, that through patience and comfort of the Scriptures we might have hope. When Thomas came to the Lord and the Lord had appeared to those of his apostles and Thomas wasn't present with them, he said, I won't believe except I'm able to thrust my or my hand into his side and to touch the nail prints in his hand. The Lord appeared to Thomas. Thomas wasn't saying, Lord, I just don't believe. He said, I need some evidence, Lord. You and I have that evidence today. Thomas came and he said, My Lord and my God. The passages we've read and there are others that point to the fact that you and I can be fit servants in the kingdom of God. That we can be used in service for the Master to serve Him and when, when we will serve Him according to our ability. Gideon goes down, and there's some 30,000 men that go down with him. The Lord said, that won't do. Gideon, we've got too many men. How in the world can we overcome them? We've got too many. Here are 32,000 fighting men. If we go down there, the people are going to say, we overcame the Midianites through our strength and through our own ability. 
I tell you what you do. Get in, you ask them, is any out there afraid? Are you fearful? If they are, send them home. You know, our brethren will discourage our heart anyway. Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 19. And so Gideon asked them, 22,000, go home. We're left with 10,000 fighting men. Gideon, you still got too many men. If these people go up against the land of Midian, they overcome the land of Midian. They'll say it was in my own strength and in my own abilities I was able to do that. Send them down to the water. The man who gets down and laps up water like a dog, you use it. There are 300 men left. They go up to fight against the Midianites. The Lord gave some unusual directions. You take a lantern out there, and you put that lantern in one hand. And you take a trumpet, and you blow into the trumpet. We've got some men who were in service in this audience. What would you think if that were the directions given? You'd say that commander's lost his ever-loving mind. These were God's directions. They were to realize that it was not through their own abilities or their own strength that they overcame the Midianites, but it was through God and through their faith in him. The Bible says in verse 21, And there stood every man in his place round about the camp, and all the host ran and cried and fled. Through the unity of 300 using God's way, they overcame. Gideon was a man who was ordinary of inability, said, I'm from this small place. We don't have very much money, and I'm the least of all those who are in my family. You mean God Almighty can use me in service? Yes, God can use those who do not have the peculiar strength that belong unto others. The time comes along, and they're going to choose a king for Israel. And the people choose a king, a man by the name of Saul. Saul says, or it says concerning him in 1 Samuel 9 and verse 21. Saul says, I'm a Benjamite, the smallest of the tribes of Israel. My family is least of all the families in the tribes of Israel. Why in the world are you talking to me, Lord? You don't want me. You want someone of some prominent family, the prominent try to be king, to serve as king over Israel. And as long as Saul recognized through humility that he must depend upon God Almighty and get his direction from God, things went well. But his downfall began when pride of heart began to strike. Saul began to think that I'm king over this people. The king was to give glory to God Almighty. Really, the truth of the matter is, here in 1 Samuel 9, it said that there'd be one who would appoint it to reign over Israel. The word reign there means literally to restrain in. To restrain in to God. God was still king. 
even though Saul was to reign there. He failed because he began to think of himself in the pride of life. You come again down to the time, you see how that in 1 Samuel 15 he's failed. You come down to 1 Samuel 16, they're going to select a king to look or to take his place. What kind of man are we going to get? Well, the man's going to come out of Jesse's family. And in verse 7, you'll see how that here the brothers are passing before Samuel to be anointed to be the one who takes Saul's place. Now this comes along in those of strength. And they pass by. And in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7 it says, The Lord looketh not or seeth not as man seeth. The Lord or man looketh on an outward appearance. But the Lord looketh on the heart. David, who is the youngest, not even there. The time comes when here's a lad of ordinary ability and he comes before him and he's anointed to be the next king of Israel. Why? Because God doesn't look on the outside. He doesn't see things like we do. He looks on the inside. There's a divine commentary on that in 1 Samuel 18. The children of Israel are backed in a corner. The Philistines are on one side of the valley. God's people on the other side. Goliath comes down and he challenges God's people. And he says, you send a man forth to battle. But they didn't. Young people, there's a lesson all of us need to learn from a young man. David was young. The Bible says there in verse 14, David was the youngest. The three elders fathered Saul. It says in verse 33, when David said, I'm going to take up the challenge and I'm going to fight for God's people, but he was a youth and they tried to discourage him. And so you need to wait you grow up, David. Come back up here and fight then. But God doesn't look at things like that. God can use one of ordinary ability. Use one here of you. Because David was a man who recognized that my strength's not in the armor that they put on. Saul said, here, take my arm. Go out to battle. David said, no, sir. That armor won't do. And so he took his sling and some, some rocks and went down to fight a giant. He recognized God has never let me down before. You know, I fought a lion and I fought a bear and it was through the strength of God that I overcame him. And through God's strength, I'll be victorious this day. And he was. God can use one of ordinary ability Come down to the book of Jeremiah, and you see in the first chapter of the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was a young man. He said, God, you don't want to send me. God said, yes, you're the one whom I'm going to send. I can use you in my service. We need to understand that no matter what our abilities might be, that God can use us in his service, and we'd be pleasing to him. 
Turn with me, and I keep looking at that clock and thinking I got lots of time, and time's about up. But turn with me to the book of Mark, in the twelfth division of the book of Mark. Our Lord's going to give us an example of proper giving and proper attitudes in giving. There are all those who come by and they pass before the tree, and you'd think, well. God's going to choose one of these who has the ability to give lots. No, that's not the way the Lord looks. Here's a poor old widow. She doesn't have very much. She's only got two mites. Can we even use two mites? Why, it won't buy a whole lot. God looked into her heart. And that's who the Lord Jesus Christ chose to be an example of giving. Come to the 14th chapter of the book of Mark and we see a woman by the name of Mary. She performed a simple little task. She anoints the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, wherever the gospel's preached, that that will go up before us and memorial to us. Look how ordinary that looks. How simple it is. And yet God said, wherever the gospel's preached, that will be remembered. And that's something that won't die when she dies, but it will be memorial. Their gravestones that to memorial upon them has been washed away by the sand of time. The water that's fallen upon it is trickled to the point that you can't even read what's there. Yet Jesus said, here's memorial for ordinary act of service. As a matter of fact, in the tenth division of the book of Matthew, he said there won't be one cup of water that's given in my name and no wise lose its reward. You come down to Matthew 25 and Jesus pictures judgment. I want to know what great deed was there performed by those who were told well done. Did it take one of extraordinary ability to do what the Lord said there? Does it take one with any great deal of ability to feed one who's hungry? What about that poor widow? She didn't have much. And yet the service that she wrought could be used by that means. The ninth chapter of the book of Acts, you read about a woman by the name of Dor. Let's see how great she is. What does she do? She sows. Does she have the ability that all others have? No. Yet she did what she could. Why? God does not require that we have a great deal of ability. He only requires that we do what we can. Under one he gave five talents, and under another two. 
and under another warrant, each according as his several ability. God can use ordinary folks in his service. It does not take one with a great deal of ability to be fit for the master's use. It simply takes one who is willing to be used, who is willing to work, serve in the kingdom of God. In the second division of the book of Philippians, I'd like to read in closing a passage together with you. It says in verse 13, For it is God that worketh in you both the will and to do his good pleasure. Now if it had been through the ability of Moses to lead the children of Israel out of the land of bondage, and only in his ability would they have ever come out. Could they have faced the problems that they faced in the wilderness if you leave God Almighty out? Gideon takes an army up against the Midianites. 32,000 fighting men. Could they have done that in and of themselves? Strength lies in purity and righteousness. And David went forth to meet Goliath. He saw that there's the real value of strength. It wasn't in the armor that he wore, but it was in his purity and in his righteousness. If we've got God on our side, there are no problems we can't overcome. God doesn't work like man works. He never has and he never will. The reason today that there are so many who turn down God's plan of salvation is that God does not work like man works. We cannot reason in and of ourselves why God requires the thing that he does. When we begin to look at it from a human standpoint, we'd be like Naaman in 2 Kings 5 and say, I thought, and say there are rivers down here where I live that are just as good as that old Jordan River over yonder. Why in the world can't I go dip in them? Why have I got to go over there? God has moral commands and he has positive commands. God said that we must believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. John 8 verse 24. That's a moral command. I can understand why he died for me on the cross. He said we've got to turn our backs on sin. Luke 13 and verse 3. I can understand that. I can see that sin and God's presence are separated. Isaiah 59, verse 2. God said we've got to confess the name of Christ before men. Unless we recognize the deity of our Lord and we see him as our salvation, there's no way that we could be saved. I can understand that. Romans 10, 10. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. God said we must be baptized for the remission of our sins. That's a positive command. We do that because God said so. God wants to know whether we're really following him or whether we're reasoning in our own minds. And so he gave a positive command, a command of separation. And it'll tell who's on his side. God told Naaman through the prophet, go dip in the river Jordan seven times. That's a positive command. God told the children of Israel at Jericho in Joshua 6, 
March around the city one day or one time each day for seven days. On the seventh day, march around seven times and blow the trumpets. A military man never could reason that out. That's a positive command. Only when we obey God's positive commands do we accept God's grace, which is in Christ. Christ died for us on the cross. Why not this day, if you're not a New Testament Christian, have the faith in Christ to turn you back on sin, confess him before this audience, be buried with your Lord in baptism for the remission of your sins. Put on Christ, then serve him faithfully all the days of your life. God won't let you down. He's never let down any servant of his that was willing to serve. If you're subject this morning, won't you come as together we stand and sing?